0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: If I could find myself in any room at all, especially a dark room, Tom, it would be with you. My co-host of Shaken and Stirred, welcome to another episode of the fabulous Shaken and Stirred show. We are shaking and stirring at an even earlier hour for us right now. And uh, Tom, I've never quite seen you so lit up. Uh, well, not just say daylight.
0: It's daylight, and I'm just a little concerned of how many assistants you said that to that darkroom comment to whilst in a darkroom with them. But in, in today's current climate, hopefully not that many.
1: Well, you know what? In the, in the current climate of digital photography, one doesn't need a darkroom. Tom, and if you'd come from underneath your rock
0: in the past 20 years, you'd uh, realized
1: we we've moved you'd away
0: from photography Actually, with film. I'm going to I'm going to hold you up on that. Film is coming back in Oxford. Everybody. No. I've got someone at the moment um, photographing, doing a year cycle photographing my place and what we do on it and all the people here. And he has the old traditional silver print or whatever they're called. He actually has a dark room and develops all his own pictures. He also shoots digital. But...
1: I hate to tell you, Tom, this doesn't really mean that it's coming back.
0: Apparently, sales of traditional film art on the up and rising rapidly but you should know this because you're apparently a photographer well that's what you yes, say you know,
1: I, i'm a digital artist actually you know okay. Uh, okay um you know it's how i like to describe myself piss artist. you know piss artist is what you are um although I, I probably could take that title as well i might add that back to my social media bio um piss artist extraordinaire uh-huh. Um, but it's definitely going to appear, I think, on Shaken and Stirred for both our bios. Tom, what are you drinking, old boy?
0: I am well, it's for once, it's the sort of cocktail hour. It was early in the evening, so I picked something refreshing and classic and my favorite. I'm, luckily I've only bought I can only make one of them when I'm sitting here for the next hour because any more than one and things start to go wrong. But I am drinking a classic champagne cocktail. Oh. So with my favourite champagne, my Bollinger. Which is a uh, uh, Sugar lump soaked in bitters, a little uh, a finger as opposed to fingering of, of brandy. Am I yes. to say that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> your expression on your face. I just watched. Sorry, I just watched recently one of our Instagram things. I was appalled, and I hope my mother doesn't ever watch it. Anyway, I can't um,
1: watch this one either, by the way. It was going so well. All we were talking about was a champagne cocktail, and somehow Tom once
0: again introduces the subject of fingering. I'm so sorry for all of you out there. Sorry. Yes. sorry. It's a bit early as well. Um, anyway, and then champagne. So brandy, champagne, bitters on a sugar cube, absolutely delicious. And what the proper about cocktail
1: proper cocktail yeah. I love that that's a delicious and it always reminds me of you when I hear of a champagne cocktail because you've served them to me many many times in your house and I know exactly where you're sitting and I've had one in there with you and you make them in the most delicious manner well I was sort of wondering too because this is a little earlier because this is I'm in New York right now and I know you can be listening to this podcast at any time at any point and we try to make a point of having a drink no matter what <laughs> because it's five o'clock somewhere people so Even though it's seven o'clock for you, half the time it's 10 o'clock at night. God knows what. I'm the only one who's normally five o'clock. But I made myself, I went and looked. There's a great website called liquor.com. And I I, I love it. I go there for a lot lot of resources for for when I'm looking for making cocktails, liquor.com. And uh, I was looking up seasonal. And bright and fruity summer libation came up and it's called the Ruby Patch. Uh, And this is what it looks like. It sort of looks almost like a sort of orangey colored sort of deliciousness with, and I've got a black currant and raspberry seasonal fruits that I got from our local uh, sort of off the road sort of shack where they sell various fresh fruits and things that they picked. Now it is rather interesting because it took a lot of work to make it. I, it's a vodka based drink and I, I use Kettle One. And you, what you do is, I, I got, have you heard of Numi? It's a, a tea, a make of tea. Well, they make a Ruby chai, a Ruby chai tea by Numi. And you, it's a Rui Bosch type of tea. And you, you actually steep two shots of vodka and you, and you put the tea bag in it and you leave it for like 10 minutes for the tea bag to infuse into the vodka. And you actually get a flavored. I never know why. I never thought of this before, but it was the first time I've seen reading it. Yeah. You, you could make your own infused vodkas, and it was through a tea bag. And I, so now I'm thinking, my head, my head sort of went. Oh my goodness! I could make rose hip. I could make mint. I could do all these flavored drinks. So it was a this, and it's caffeine free. Rui Bosch tea bag in there, um, and and actually it's got a sort of. I got two strawberries. I got some mint leaves. You've got some agave nectar, lemon juice, half an ounce of lemon juice. It's all shaken together with the vodka, with the infused uh, Rooibos Bosch tea. And here it comes out, and they call it a ruby patch. And I'm going to try it right now. So cheers, my friend. It's cheers.
0: delicious. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Yummy. It's absolutely delicious. And it is, just like they say, it's bright and fruity. And that lemon just goes, explodes. And I can taste the mint. And by the way, that's fresh mint from my
0: garden as well. How nice. That's uh, How nice. And also the other thing to, to chuck in here at this particular moment is for those people who are even health health conscious and like a cocktail, uh, perhaps try infusing a bit of green tea once in a while, which has been shown to burn fat and uh, help with the sort of cancerous situation from time to time, apparently, and all sorts of other amazing properties that it has to uh, to basically counteract all the... Other negative properties that one's probably putting into oneself on a daily basis somehow.
1: Uh, I, I, you know, I love it, Tom. Whenever you give medical advice, it's it's always you know um, yeah. balance, balance. Always read the warnings, people, especially the, and the warning being that the snapper has actually you know uh, recommended it is the, probably the biggest. I did. One.
0: I, had, I had a cup of green. tea. I heard this last night. I had a cup of green tea last night. I, well, I can't say I particularly enjoyed it that much. But um, and won't be doing it too often. But um, it, it's an interesting concept.
1: I've had I've had it in ice cream before. I've, again, I'm, not a huge fan. I'm gonna try it. A... Not a, not a huge fan either. Booze news, guys. On to some booze news. By the way, we've got a fabulous guest today. But before we get to our fabulous guest, booze news. And this is kind of a funny one. I'm not sure if if you're like me, but you know, when it comes to going to restaurants and you're looking at the menu and you're picking your wine. Quite often, as, as we all know, the wines are all... The, the prices on, on these wine lists in restaurants are inflated. And in fact, they did a survey, the Wine Enthusiast, and it, it came back with the fact that on average in the US, uh, and I think it's equivalent in the UK, that wine prices on wine lists are inflated by up to 300% on average. It's, yeah, 3.7, it should be 3.7, I think, is the, is the
0: figure but that you're
1: Even higher in the UK, and this is coming from a man who does this because he has a, a venue, so uh, FYI, you're being ripped off left, right and centre. So, but, however, I always go for, Tom's rolling his eyes, looking rather pissed. Um, I I always go for, and Tom knows this, the, pretty much the cheapest wine on the menu because I, I know I'm being ripped off and I want to get the cheapest. However, so this is the thing, I always thought, and this is common thinking, that when you get the cheapest, the sort of second cheapest, well, everyone in the wine business, or in the restaurant business, knows that people go for the second, you don't want to get the cheapest, because you don't want to look like a cheapskate with your date. So you go for the second cheapest, thinking that, oh, I'm not being cheap, because I didn't get the cheapest one, but I got the, close to the cheapest one. But those yeah. are the ones where the prices are the most inflated. Oh my God,
0: so much sense because I am so I am that I so resent over paying for wine in restaurants, which is where they make their money. Uh, that makes so much sense because I am definitely second from the bottom no, kind of guy. Second from
1: the bottom, second from no. the bottom, as am I. So, so I'm exactly no. the so same way. Second, that's what I'm saying. Are you like <laughs> me, second from the damn bottom? And I'm like, <laughs> oh shit. You know, this is so. Anyway, they did the survey, and it turns out that second from the bottom may actually not be such a bad idea. It turns out that wine is inflate The most expensive wine on any wine list on average around the world is the middle wines. And in fact, the wines on either end, the highest and the cheapest, actually have the lowest uh, increase in price. So actually the cheapest wine has, and the most expensive wine has the smallest markup, and the markups get higher and higher and higher and crescendo in the middle. So actually, if you're an extremist, Go for it. You're probably getting one of the best deals out there. That's my so business.
0: So
1: second from the bottom is a good idea. Second from the bottom. I find anything with a bottom Tom, actually. Anything uh, we'll bottoms up, old boy. Bottoms. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers, cheers. We have a wonderful guest. Let's meet her. Our guest today is the lovely host of A Friend of a Friend. She's an editorial and cultural archaeologist which I love those two terms, by the way, put together, that, that is like, I read that and I'm like, oh, you know what, that's kind of brilliant. I want to be called a cultural archaeologist, <laughs> digging up the best of the unknown and sharing it with her followers as a contributing writer for Forbes.com. Forbes, Tom, we're way out of our league here. Uh, please welcome journalist, entrepreneur and businesswoman, Olivia Perez. Liv, how are you?
2: I'm great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This is such a treat. A great way to start my day in Los Angeles, even though I know one of you is in London. It's probably way later in the day.
1: Yeah. We've got it all going on here, Tom. You're in London. I'm in New York. You're in LA. That's three, we're like across the world right now.
2: This is really? a very worldwide podcast today.
1: It, is, it totally is. So listen, it's early for you in the morning at this point because it's, it's, and this is a little early for us. We're having cocktails right now. I always ask our guests, what they're drinking what are you drinking
2: okay so i have a coffee i could spike it if you want me to yeah
1: yeah yeah. i mean if if i had control of everyone's drink like that i had no idea that's all i needed to say was yes what would you spike it with if you were going to spike it
2: oh i feel like isn't it isn't like a coffee and like a whiskey a great a great move Irish coffee Irish coffee
1: I, I would, you know, if you don't have to ask us. We'd be able pour anything into the, into, you know, it's, it's actually been trying to put a little bit of coffee in our whiskey half the time. So, I mean, is that is that what you've done before? Do you like doing that? Have you ever done that before?
2: I haven't done that before. I am someone though that like, I need a good energy kick before I go out. So like, I'll make my drink and I'll make a coffee on the side and just kind of like go for both. Whatever gets me like ready to go.
1: Are you a cocktail? I mean, listen, you do a lot of go to a lot of parties, isn't on what have you, no doubt, with what you do. And we're gonna get into that. But is that are you someone who has a go-to cocktail normally?
2: Yeah, I think so. It makes it easy. Like I don't wanna go up to the bar and be like, what do I get? And the guy's like, oh, I can make you this or I can make you this. Like it's easier if you have a go-to. Just so what, is your what is it? I love a Paloma.
1: Oh, very nice.
2: Paloma. Lots of sugar. Definitely Definitely something that is like you're ensuring a hangover the next day.
1: So you're, that's, that is basically a, a grapefruit juice, orange juice, and tequila uh, drink, correct?
2: Yeah. So you can have it with that. You can also have it with like a little sparkling water, which makes it nice and bubbly. I actually really like them with mezcal.
1: And mezcal, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's a smoky version very nice yeah
2: there's one that i love it's called rosaluna it's not as smoky because i feel like if you have mezcal it's definitely like a a very intense drink um but i found one that's like a little bit less smoky and it just adds a little kick
1: absolutely there you go yeah. I wish try that tom a little paloma oh, actually
0: well, well try try where where is the best paloma where, which, which place makes the best paloma
2: in LA, I would say San Vicente Bungalows has a really good one. They make it in like a fishbowl, which is like a lot for me, but it's still really good. It's <laughs> a lot for anyone. <laughs> yeah, like the fishbowl drinks. I'm like, oh God, I'm that person right now. Um, but they make a really good one. Uh, Sunset Tower makes a great one. But you know, I can make one at home too. I just, you know, mezcal, grapefruit juice, little soda, lime, call it a day.
1: So soda lime. So you don't go orange juice as well. You just go grapefruit juice. I'm always curious. It's, I've made them before, but I think I've put – and they like with so many of these drinks, they're little you know, things you can change and, and tweak. But it's the grapefruit that really makes it the paloma, isn't it? That's totally. the
2: Yeah, the you of... can do orange juice, but like I feel like I don't really need it if I have enough grapefruit juice in there.
1: Nice. I like that. No, it sounds, yeah. del- sounds delicious. So look, you're the founder of Friend of a Friend. Now, you created this apparently – whilst at college, whilst at NYU. Is that true? Is,
2: yeah, it is true. How, how did
1: that come about? What was the, well, it was just like you were trying to get into parties or you're like, I'm going to write about these things. I mean, what, what was that about?
2: I love that That's your instinctual, like, why did you start this? Because I wanted to go to parties. Um, no, well, it's me. absolutely. You're a college student. You want to figure out where to go. Totally. Well, now in its form, it's a podcast that I host every week, but what? Really what it started as I was in college, I was 20 years old, I had just moved to New York two years prior. And when you go to NYU, you're really in the hub of the city. And there were so many incredible people, places, things that I was learning about. And I really feel like startup culture was kind of at its peak in those years when I was in school. Um, And I wanted to write about them. I was kind of tired of going on the generic websites and seeing the same places get written about over and over again. It was like the same list, the same people. And I knew a lot of other NYU students also wanted this like hub of cool, creative things that they could do that were affordable fun and accessible so part of it was a lifestyle blog where I was writing about food fashion beauty and then the other side of it I was interviewing cool creatives that I was meeting in the city and that actually is what inspired the podcast today because that ended up being our gem people loved these interviews where they were getting introduced to somebody new that was doing something really fucking cool that might not be as mainstream but what inspired them to maybe go do something of their own or give them kind of an access point to see a passion or something that they're excited about in. So that's why we have the podcast today. comes out every Monday. We've had incredible guests on there from Mag- Maggie Rogers. If you're watching Maraviestown of Easttown right now, our last guest was someone who's on the show. Um, and people always ask me, what's the show about? And it's really just about me finding people that I think are doing interesting things and I want to share them.
1: Which is the reason why, Tom, neither you or I have been asked to be on the podcast.
2: <laughs> well, I'm on your podcast now. We could do a little pod swap
0: you
1: know that's basically she said new and interesting luminaries and what have you and all these current cool people and then you know there's you and i back in our you know drinking old cocktails hanging out you know it's sort of we're like the you know the muppet show we're like the two old men in in the seat in the seats grumping about everything that's going on on the stage that's basically i think
2: i could call you about you're more the after party which i like love after party's always more fun you've got the drinks you've got good conversation you know it's good
0: uh, we're the after, after party, afterthought night. No, you're the afterthought. By the way, you're, you're after, and I'm party.
1: That's how we're going to do this. Right? By
0: the way, those two old people in the Muppet Show were called Waldorf and Astoria, for for your reference, if you don't remember. So, you know, ha ha. I don't know if that's supposed to be some funny joke, but
1: so, yeah. Uh, Olivia, his his great grandfather is Waldorf Astor. Um, and so, hence, Waldo Fastoria uh, is the name of those two ca- characters and things. Yes, yeah. everyone, there you go. It's all true. It yes, all comes right. ultimately. Having... It all leads back to the snapper. Um, Love that. Yes, yeah, so, uh, as does he. He loves it as well. Yeah. So, I, this. So, really, what that, describing the podcast? It, it is. It is actually interesting how many people you've you've interviewed. A lot of great people. A few of which have actually, and I looked at the list, have appeared on this podcast too. Hannah Bronfman for one.
2: Love
1: um, we love Hannah and uh, you know she had a baby and what have you and she's she
2: did. She was actually the first guest we ever had on the podcast so please don't go listen to that episode because I was just figuring it out. But go listen to it because she's also an incredible entrepreneur and she says she's ama- some amazing things but you never forget your first podcast episode.
1: <laughs> you know what it it's always it's a constant journey isn't it? I mean I think yeah. that you know, and that's one of the funny things when I and i was looking at you up in general and just sort of thinking, you know, as you one does before you have a guest on, you know, in what particular vein should we sort of take this interview? It's sort of you know, You're someone who interviews people. You are someone who you do what we do to some extent, but we sort of don't do much of an interview. We are more conversationalists. But I've spent my life interviewing people and I thought to myself, someone like you on board, I'd love to know your creative process? Like what mm-hmm. inspires you to pick the people for your podcast festival? Like who, wh- why these, why certain luminaries? What do you, what are the qualities that you look for in a, in someone to bring on? And You're stealing
0: your secrets by the way. I am basically. Everyone. No, I,
2: I love that question. And I think it's not so much of a secret. I think it's actually what I, what I really enjoy most about podcasts is that the guest really steers the ship in a lot of ways. It's the conversation that you hold, but it's also your perspective of what you are paying attention to. So I always see the podcast kind of like a glimpse into like the chaos of my brain of things I'm interested in, um, people I'm paying attention to. But I think for me, you know, I never wanted to segment the podcast to just be fashion because that's kind of what I came up in. I was doing fashion in New York for a really long time. And I think people expected me to have a fashion podcast but I wanted it to be more than that. I wanted to be able to kind of look at eight episodes and be like, how can I bring on someone that's doing something cool in beauty, in film, in tech, um, is an amazing activist. So I really try to just strategy wise in that sense, like I'm really always thinking about how can I bring on this like wide array of people where anytime someone goes to the podcast webpage, they can be like that's someone I'm interested in hearing from. There's something for everybody. But yeah, back to what I was saying before, I think it's so much about who I think is moving the needle differently and who I think is doing something really cool. And it's not about, oh, do you have a million followers? It's not about kind of like the high level things that we think about today that like quantify success in an annoying way. It's more about how are you making a difference in your community? How are you changing the industry that you know, might already be set with its foundation. How are you going in there and trying to mix things up and um, tell a really, really cool story? So for me, that's always what I'm thinking about. And those are the people that are most interesting to me. And I, I hope that they're also most interesting to our audience.
1: So you're looking for the sort of disruptors in many yes. ways. Yeah, I mean, it's like one Ended of those <laughs> that's totally overused, but it's sort of like, it is a perfect description of the type of what you were just sort of saying right there. We yeah. just look for alcoholics normally um but you know clearly this timing and was wrong yeah. your, your <laughs> reputation went before you and i don't know what happened you somehow slipped through the the, the screen and
0: brought coffee i mean
2: that's okay it's 11 o'clock you know it's a work day i'll I spiked it, up it, up it. Up. i promise it's spiked actually
0: i was a bit worried by by your statement earlier that you know you never forget the first podcast i i have absolutely no recollection of it i mean i think i just got off an airplane and probably make just trying mixing drinks. I don't know. I can't remember. nice can probably remember. Can you remember? I mean, I literally can't have no I, idea. Well, of that
1: it. was when we actually named the, the podcast um, Shaken and Slurred. And shaken. we've now changed it to Shaken and stirred.
2: Uh, <laughs> I love that. I more mean that, like, when you jump on the mic for the first time, the way I sounded on my first episode versus the way I sound now, it's so awkward. It's painfully awkward.
0: I think I, think I fell on the mic. I didn't jump on it, um, which was definitely painful.
1: I can actually... I can I can attest to this, and I'll post photographs about it later on, on, on the social media, on Shaken and Stirred, on Instagram, but I have photographs of Tom asleep, actually In the middle asleep. of the podcast. In the middle of the podcast, whilst That's I right. have, you know, and his head sleeping like on the mic like, like that, with his eyes closed, poor little thing, had come off a flight, was very, very jet-lagged, um, and then I gave, then we basically, back then, we used to do multiple podcasts in a day, mm. right? And so as we are a cocktail podcast show, he hadn't quite got his sort of cadence right yet of how many he could actually drink and get away with. And although now we perhaps have one and we sort of get through it, sip it as we go through, the, and we have one a day kind of thing. Right. Then three or four, and you're four deep, and you've you've got two hours of sleep. And the poor little guy was sort of literally other... I mean, he might have even been snoring. It was very funny. And I have photographs to prove it. So sorry, Tom. Um, yeah, leave it. I leave
0: can't it wait up. to
2: see those. Um, we need to see those
0: no i think they're best left left alone can i ask you a question um do you listen i can't listen ever i have not ever listened to a podcast i've ever done because i can't bear the sound of my listening to the sound of my own voice because it just sounds i don't know there's just something awful about it do you listen to your podcast to see i mean as a professional you know to see to check that you're you know how they you know
2: Yeah, I'm really hands on with it. I like to listen to them because I have to edit them down. And I'm very particular about that. It's definitely a cringe experience hearing yourself talk. But I also think hearing yourself speak, especially as an interviewer or a journalist or whatever it is that you do, it's a deeply introspective experience. I've actually been in a vocal class for the past year, not for singing, but more to just analyze your voice and the way that we speak. And it's it's interesting listening back and seeing how you answered a question or you know m- maybe a certain inflection in your voice. It's a deeply introspective experience. It really is. It's cringy, of course, but like I recommend it. Just if you don't look at your flaws, like how or like identify them, how are you going to grow from
1: it? He doesn't even have a mirror in his house. Um, I, I I actually like to practice the sexy voice and the cool voice and the the deep voice. And oh that. yeah. You know, and the, I'm very excited voice. And what are your tricks? Have you got some tricks? Now you've been learning how to, you know, I guess, listening to language. You must have, you know, I, and by the way, years and years of doing top model, I did the same thing. I'd watch how I was on, on screen. and would be like, right. wait a second. Why do I keep putting my hand on my chin? Because I'm bored at the back. You, they All can the see, time. Sit up, body straight. Where's the camera angle? And sort of learn it and get better. So what, 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 what tricks have you learned as far as how to project or how to sound?
2: Even. Ooh, I do a vocal warm up every morning to begin with. It's actually amazing how and it's just been helpful for, for life in general. If you're someone who talks really fast and annoyingly like me, it's a good moment to kind of just like warm it all up. It actually makes you feel a little bit more controlled in your voice. I think the like gestures, like you were just saying, like, if you're like this, like the hands, I talk with my hands. I'm like very animated. Like those are all things that I think I've had to like build some sort of practice for myself. But I also think like to each his own, like if the animated talking hands is like part of your bit, go for it. For me, it's very distracting. So I've had to, again, like do these little tweaks within my work. And the only way I've been able to find those tweaks is by watching back. So you know, like, I think you can find a healthy balance. I know hearing your voice sometimes is a nightmare, but find a healthy balance in there.
0: Did you just say that you're, do you find hand gestures distracting? Literally, did you mean that when you talk and you do hand gestures, you find your own hands distracting?
2: Could you imagine? No, I just no. think that I'm like exerting energy in the wrong places.
0: Right, right okay, so go okay, yeah, Like,
2: like right, it right. gets me riled up, whereas it's like, okay, figure out what you want to say, stand by that statement. It doesn't need to be all of this. You know? The biggest
1: issue with hand ju- gestures is, in fact, if you're doing a recorded show, and for example, you're wearing a leather jacket right now, I can hear you squeaking. Yeah. I can hear the leather squeaking. So when you're trying to edit the show, and someone does, a, and you you'll get guests r- routinely who do something like that, and then the fabric, and all of a sudden, throughout the entire show, you've got this little thing which is, and if you're on a podcast, of course, you're deeply intensely listening to the whole show, then yeah. the, the noises can be really become massively amplified. And it's like someone who's a, who's a, a table banger. You get some people who constantly bang the table. Or
2: yep. the I table. had that a couple of days ago. I had someone who was banging the table and then another person who there was like the Poland, not the Poland spring, um, the mountain valley water bottles on the table. And you know how you can like peel off the plastic? I think he was a little nervous and he was like peeling at the plastic and it was like ending up on the table and like moving around as he was talking or like he was ripping it off. And I, I, I think that's totally fine for like a standard interview, but I don't think people really understand like the minutiae of a podcast. Like you can literally hear every click.
0: Every click. Are, are you doing, sorry, can I just ask you when you say, so are you editing? all? I mean, are you editing from start to finish? Every podcast you do, you're literally, are you have that hands on that you're doing everything?
2: So I don't do the actual audio edit. I sit down, I tr- get the interview transcribed and I go through and I pick out the timestamps and the moments where, um, I think it, it can either drag on or be really long. I'm a little bit intentional about like how long an episode is. So I do that part, but then I have a producer who actually takes out the audio bits.
0: My God, I listen. you know what we've got, um, uh, you know, Embassy Roy listening to this podcast right now, I hope they're listening to this because I'm feeling extremely unprofessional right now right? I mean, yeah, right, so- Tom,
1: I've been editing it with them for all this time since the beginning and I make sure that all the parts where you are most ridiculous are front and centre <laughs> well, and I'm glad God that you've awesome ever listened back. to it Never listen yeah, to you it. You guys are
2: making me want to co-host right now. This is great.
1: <laughs> this is actually what's happening. This is an audition. This is actually an audition for the new for the new season. That's why she has books behind her. I I, was to, I said, to her, "Do something similar to Tom." I sent her a photograph, and I'm a bit concerned of the fashion book and the Saint Tropez Soleil book, which I know. Uh,
2: that one know. deeply concerning.
1: Deeply <sighs> concerning. Uh, deeply
2: concerning. I just got it, and like I, I love books. I get like so many of them, and I like. That one went right there because size-wise it fit. And then the other day I was like looking and I was like, no, I, no, no.
1: <laughs> but, but you still left it there. So, you know, it can't be all. And meanwhile, you put all your sort of math homework books from uh, below with the, in the red underneath. You know, so <laughs> for some reason they they remind me. You know what's you-
2: so interesting? Those, a lot of those red ones are like mathy smart ones. Maybe like the red, people go for the red with the mathy smart. I don't with
1: know. The re- red says math. It's like, it's Well, just, my
2: books are color coordinated, look.
1: I did notice, trust me, nothing is lost over here. I, I'm looking at it all, I see all the-
2: Now, after we get on this, I will never be able to look at the Saint-Tropez book again. Okay, well, it's, it is a beautiful um, aceline book though.
1: It is, it yeah. is indeed, and I know the book, but I. But it just, yes. it's right next to your head and it's saying, please take me to Saint-Tropez and I need the sun. You're, you're, you're channeling, you're channeling- no. I'm
2: manifesting. My you're books up. behind me are a manifestation.
1: I, I get it. I, I see that. It says one says fashion and the next one says Saint Tropez. So, you know, Actually, you... a
2: lot of these books are the books that I had to study when I was studying fashion journalism in school. I've kept them this whole time. So, yeah, like that's a fashion book. That's like a media studies book. I've had so is many. Nigel,
0: is Nigel in that book? I'm so intrigued now. Which one? A fashion
1: one? That? He might be. Literally. I, 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 I shouldn't be. I'm in, I'm in sort of The Simpsons and South Park, but I'm not in that book, all right? So I don't think just, that's true. Let's just get that straight, all right? Yeah. Uh, you should check it out, actually. The top Model has been, uh, you know, uh, ridiculed in all those shows over over the years. So well, one way or the other, we've been, we've been made to look, you know, bananas. Um, but, hey, why not? You know, it's, it's all good. Yeah, you know, I learned a trick back in the day when it comes to, as far as how you sound on radio and how you sound on a podcast and on a voiceover, right? So, it was one of these. Like, it wasn't so so much a trainer, but it was someone who was who does a lot of voiceovers. Who was I was booked me for a job, and they said that it's so important the facial expression that you're pulling before you start speaking, right? So, and they said that when you're doing a voiceover, oftentimes if you're going to read something, you know, you'll just start reading it. They're like, you've got to almost get into character, put on a big smile and a big grin, be beaming, happy, and then start reading. And that will change the entire inclination of the way you read, do do your read, it'll be upbeat. Otherwise you have to sort of, it's like a car starting from zero and going fast. You're sort of already moving, you know? Uh, And it's a bit like when a, a director calls action, you don't then all start walking. You, there's a countdown into action and you're already walking. So when he counts action, action's actually for the camera to start rolling, but everyone still is already moving. Otherwise, oh. everyone would be like, Oof, and sort of like, you know, jerking forward and starting from that point. So it's it's the same idea. So I, you know, I just thought it was fascinating to have someone like you on because this is what you do for a living. You interview, but you do kind of what we do. You get <laughs> people's heads, you talk to them. And I'm like, what does someone like you who's done such a great job of it and, and interviewed all these great people what do you look for? And, and I was wondering too, what are your, what what? how do you drill into someone? Okay, so you get a great um, person in front of you. What, what's your methods for perhaps getting them to open up?
2: So I think right now, and you guys probably feel a type of way about this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but podcasting, there's a huge trend of like these micro short version podcasts where it's like 10 or 20 minutes. That's why I think a lot of like newsy podcasts do well. But for me, I always try to do the, I mean, for the work that I do, it's the complete opposite. I don't think you can really like warm up a guest in 20 minutes and like get to the meat of it in 20 minutes. I think it has to be something where the curiosity and the genuine curiosity and kindness drives it. So I'm not just going to dive right in and be like, hey, tell me about this movie you're working on. It's so detached. It's so disconnected. I'd actually rather, where I get most excited in hearing a lot of conversations is like what their upbringing was like how maybe the threads of what they're doing now were there, but not very apparent in their childhood. So it's really those kind of background questions where I actually see my guests get most excited because they're excited to reflect back and tie those threads together and be like, oh, I didn't think about that before. Wow, that's so cool. That's a huge part of what I'm doing now. And I think it's like those moments of connection and introspection that like really allow someone to open up and also let them know that like I'm not there to just parade them and be an interviewer, an interviewer. Like, I'm there because I care and I want to know their story and how they can share it in a way that feels inspirational but also informative to an audience. So I think, you know, reflecting on that, which obviously takes time, which is why our episodes are a little bit longer, I think giving that time and that attention and that care is where we've been most successful in making our guests feel very open and warm. I always, like, I also have, like, the way I reach out to people, the way I like give them like a little bit of prep before, I think also makes them feel comfortable. I always offer up a phone call if they're nervous. I offer up a FaceTime. I offer up a Zoom. Um, <laughs> he's like, why? That sounds That's horrible.
0: Right. This is so pro-knife. Seriously, we, you listening to you're writing this down.
2: <laughs> I just think that like, you know, at the <laughs> last, I'm sure you guys have been in this position before, like having a guest on the show who you can tell is really nervous or awkward. It's more work for you. It's kind of like pulling teeth.
1: That's why we have we have cocktails. That's how right. we get information out of our guests. We just get them drunk. Right. We, by that end of the, by the end of the podcast, they're letting him, telling us all kinds of secrets. Right. Uh, by the way.
2: So it's like even if it's 10 minutes on a FaceTime, like that can make the world of a difference for someone just feeling like, okay, I know who this person is. we've had a conversation like I feel more ready to just dive right in.
1: No, I, I much prefer sort of domine- domineering, you know, terrifying the guest. You will not speak to me beforehand. In fact, you will not know who I am whatsoever. And you will tell me exactly what I want to know. Right now, I want to know it all. And this is the question. And I'm not giving you any questions in advance. What are you drinking, by the way? Um, I mean, I'm terrified. Yeah, I can see. You're literally shaking, quivering in your boots. I am. Um, which is just, you know, quite embarrassing, actually. Uh, do you have a favourite interview, Olivia?
2: I do. It's one that constantly stands out and I never will never forget having finished it and walking away saying I think that was one of the most beautiful interviews I've ever had. It was while did either of you watch The Undoing?
1: The Undoing.
2: Yes. On HBO I, with Nicole Kidman.
1: I I didn't God, I wanted to see that too. No, I didn't see it, but who was in that? That looked amazing, actually.
2: It was a phenomenal show. Yeah. Definitely like a who-done it murder mystery, so much fun. And what's really fun when I, I actually get to work with networks, when those shows come out for collaborations to promote the show, um, and that was one that I did with HBO. And I said, give me the talent that's on there that people don't know about, but is going to be the standout of the show. And if you watched the show, you kind of knew who that was already. And um, in my opinion, it was Noma Dumezuni, who played Nicole Kidman's lawyer, um, Haley Fitzgerald in the show. Um, she was, she played Hermione in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in London, actually. And she, she has such admiration, respect, and just, like, pure passion for her craft that she, it was impossible to not have this, like, very human conversation with her. She wasn't like, okay, ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. Um, she had also, like, looked me up a little bit, so she was able to have this, like, very natural conversation, which is rare sometimes when you're on a podcast and you have a guest on. Um, I think it's that like genuine curiosity and like humanness that guests bring on where you're like, okay, this is a conversation and not an interview. And with her, I mean, one, being able to talk about the role while the show was like blowing up around the world was obviously so much fun and a a huge milestone for me as a journalist, but she was also an incredible human being to talk to. Um, So I would say, ooh, Sorry. One second. That was amazing.
0: Sorry. Oh, please. Go ahead. That sounded like something's
2: broken. No, something's not broken. You okay? There we go. I have a five-month-old puppy who's the (laughs) cutest thing in the world, but he is very confused at some of the tech in this room, and sometimes will, like, push it and be like, but what are you? And then it falls on him. Oh, is he okay? He's totally fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that.
1: No, 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 That sounds just like Tom. Normally, when he's in the recording studio, it's very similar. Falling,
2: things falling over, messes everywhere.
1: You know, no. pushing buttons. What's this? <laughs> and, you know, oh, it's an ejector seat. Um, okay. and, yeah. um, no, you, you know, you do a lot of. I know you've done a lot of travel, and you do do a lot of travel in general. Do you find that interviewing people on location and the the actual location itself? helps the interview or affects it in what way you're nodding. I want to know how and what,
2: Oh, um, but I'm sure both of you have felt this way with the work that you do and like having to go on zoom, there is nothing that beats in human in person connection and an energetic connection. And, you know, it's been tough in the past year to have to do all of my shows virtually. There's that like intuitiveness that's just missing of being able to be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I connect on what you're saying. And so, yes, I do find that anytime I'm able to go and be with someone in person, I will take the flight. I'll, I'll, I'll like bake it into the budget to be able to go do that because it's just the interview is a thousand times better. I also think people like to see video content. People like to see people together. I think we're kind of in this moment of like extreme zoom fatigue. So yeah, anytime I can do it, I love it. And I think I also think for a guest, it makes the world of a difference if you can put a real face and like a person um, in front of it instead of a, a Zoom screen. So yeah, anytime I can, I do.
0: Are you able to start traveling again in America? I mean, outside of America? Is, is, it, is it sort of, are you, when when do you anticipate, how long, how much? How many more podcasts have you got before you can literally do a, you know, go travel?
2: I'm actually going on my first travel pod in 10 days. So that's very exciting. But I'm just going to New York. Um, But I feel like in the US, I don't know, I see a lot of people going like down into Mexico, like that's fine. I haven't seen any European travel unless I've like seen it, people doing it for work. But I don't know. Are you guys allowed to come to the US yet? Yeah.
0: I don't know. I I mean, I I think you are allowed. The
1: problem is getting back into the UK. Getting back in.
2: It's, I have been, like, the the news cycles and the things we're allowed to do and not allowed to do since for, like, the past five months have been extremely confusing for me, so I'm always like, can I do this? Yeah.
0: We have a sort of traffic light thing where we have green countries, amber countries, and mm. red countries. Right. Uh, your kind of government's like, well, you can go on holiday, but we kind of advise you not to go to an amber country in case we turn it to a red country when you're out there, in which case you actually can't get back at all. Right. You know what I mean? So, so and frankly... Do you know something? I've got to say, I'm really I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there, it's probably gonna make it very unpopular, but I mean, seriously, like holidays is like the last, they're surely not a priority. I mean, personally, I don't know. I've got a kind of an events business over here and which has obviously been completely shut for however long. Now, if people are telling me that you know we're not gonna be able to open up our events thing because people have started traveling and they're bringing all sorts of things back into the country holidays, I mean, I don't know, maybe holidays are that important. But for me, it's like it's like it's it's kind of the furthest thing from 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 my mind, from from my mind. I don't know. But I mean, you know, looking at that book on Saint-Tropez, that this time of year, normally, you know, I'd love to trip down to Join Le and, you know, just that sunshine. And, oh, God, I mean, we all yeah. miss it. Right.
2: Yeah, of course. And I hear what you're saying, how, like, you know, if you're not able to like go back to business yet and the fact that people want to go on holiday and come back and that's affecting your work. Uh, and your ability Uh, to get back to work. Like, yeah, I think that's a little bit of backwards thinking. Um, But hopefully we find a a solution to it all and everybody can open back up safely and get back to doing what it is they want to do.
1: Have you found there there are certain locations, though, not just being in person, but the actual location itself lending itself to the podcast or to the actual interview? As in, for example, with Tom and I, there are certain bars that have certain romance to them or have certain drinks that were created in them. Or the Bloody Mary was created at the St. Regis Hotel in that bar. And and it's known for it. The very first ones were first made. And so there's actual sort of the bar themselves, the location itself has a story, has a narrative that can somehow play into it. Do you ever work that angle too?
2: I mean, my dream is to work that angle, to be able to bring someone into like a living room type setting. I think that If you can bring someone into a space that lends itself to not a professional setting and feels like you are genuinely just sitting down and having a conversation, that's where you will probably see more success and more comfortability in it. But on the flip side of that, it's a logistical nightmare, like getting all the equipment in there, making sure it's soundproof or like making sure you're at least getting good sound to an extent. Um, So I think you have to figure out like what you're able to balance and what you're not.
1: So look, you describe yourself as a nomad. Um, where in the world has been your favorite place to travel to? Let's go there. Have oh you had my. A favorite okay. destination?
2: Great question. I mean, okay, can we refine the question? Like, are we talking about for vacation? Are we talking about just for like...
1: Has there been somewhere that's just... I mean, I, I think we're all missing travel. We talked about it. Yeah. Like, I'm a great traveler too. I've spent my life on the road. And there are places to me that... You know, my son just the other day, like literally two days ago, said to me, Dad, just we want to walk. And out of nowhere, he said, you know, my favorite holiday we ever went on was when we went to Sri Lanka as a family. And, you know, I've never forgotten because, you know, the animals, the culture, the the religion, the the beaches, the jungle, like some places sort of have it all. You know, I'm just curious if there's anywhere for you that that just struck a chord that you're like, you know what, that moved me, that changed me. That was a, you know, defining moment type of thing.
2: So I have two. I would say the first one, when I was in high school, I traveled a lot. I did a lot of um, service work around the world in different countries. And one of the ones I was in was Cambodia. And we went to Angkor Wat. And I think, you know, I was so young, I was 17 years old. So I think to see coming from LA to just immediately have that culture shock of knowing that that's on the other side of the world wasn't, was deeply overwhelming for me, but it's also a beautiful place with like so much vibrant culture um, and so many kind of like different, different things to experience. And I just, I really loved being there. The people were so kind. um, And it was just like the history that's there was, was really beautiful to be able to experience as well. The other place I would say, which is like, you know, pretty, a bit more accessible is Copenhagen. Um, I started going a lot for work a couple years ago. And I just think that the way that that city operates and the way that people really like live and coexist there together is really cool. Um, I love how just eco-friendly it is. Like... I la- last time I was there, I was walking through a park and they were planting fruit trees for people to just be able to like grab an apple off the tree and go about their day. And I think that like that community element of it is really beautiful. Everyone's on bikes. There's something really beautiful about that. And as a fashion lover, it's been really cool to see that scene really blow up and see a lot of creative talent come out of there. Um, so I just love that city. I think it's a really cool place to explore. There's so much there um, to be able to to really kind of to be able to experience.
0: You know, um, I got a Danish friend of mine, and who and I, my son last year said, well, before the know it was like said, you know, I want to go on holiday, but I want to get to um, I want to go to Copenhagen, mm. and I said why in particular? And he said because it's apparently he said it's the happiest place statistically in Europe, and I I then rang my Danish friend up and said, apparently Denmark is supposed to be, which I said I can't really believe because I mean it does get quite dark there, like, quite early, and you know stranger Anyway, he said, "Well, he said, well, it, well I think it is statistically." And, the, and he said, "The reason is, and this is a terrible, and I'm probably going to get sued. But I mean, I'm going to apparently." Um, and this has been told by a Danish guy. He said that back in the eighties, it had the sort of it was the most miserable place in Europe, and had sort of the worst, you know, high suicide rate, depression, all the rest of it. And then some bright spark just thought, "Let's get it. Let's literally get everyone on on the on meds here, and let's just." literally give it get everyone on antidepressants because it is everyone is really depressed literally if you look back and he said as a result it is it is flipped into being the happiest place in europe and apparently you know apparently whatever they're giving them is is working um and i I hope that doesn't i that reflects based also when you when you particularly pick copenhagen from what i've gathered from my short time you know speaking to you on this podcast you know, you're looking for the kind of, you're looking for sparky, good, you know, positive, interesting stuff going on. So, which is obviously coming out of Copenhagen. I mean, I'm not sure you could, if you went to Helsinki, it would be the same, but you know, I don't know. I, it's just, I thought it was an interesting, it's a fact. I, um, yeah, I top,
2: think that there's just so much like, There's a lot of different things that you can experience in one place. I think the food is really cool and different. The last time I was there, I stayed in like the center of Copenhagen, but a couple friends of mine who are from there and work in fashion there rented this insane house that was about an hour outside of Copenhagen on the water. And it was literally this like beautiful castle on the water. And we just, they rented it for the day and we had lunch there and rode bikes around and there were horses walking down the street. It's very idyllic.
1: So I think Tom's talking about the drug scene in Copenhagen. By the sounds of things, oh. he's talking about what, what, no. what other things the uh, the uh, you know the medic- medicinal uh, uh, medicinal no, rather.
0: No, no, no. I'm joking. Yeah. apart. literally, this Danish friend of mine said that that's what happened back in the 80s. It was literally the opposite, and yeah. they did start they did start you know mass mass not va- vaccinating against depression. I suppose or whatever you call it. Um, and that's it interesting. Has been- I didn't know that. Yeah, and as a result, it's become quite a sort of you know tip up, beat, you know, and and it is it's beautiful as well. I mean, it's, it's stunning, stunning place.
2: Yeah, um,
0: and I, I haven't yet been there, but I'm I'm even more galvanised to go there now. You've just now you've just been talking I about it. I actually have
1: friends of mine who moved to Copenhagen during the pandemic. Right as it started, they moved there with the idea that if we're going to spend a year locked down and they kind of, and they, 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 they saw that, that was going to happen. It was very smart of them. And they picked up their entire family and they moved from wow. Atlanta, Georgia and went to Copenhagen for a year. And but then th-
2: Copenhagen actually was one of the first con- cities to open back up again. Um, they really like had it under control very quickly. I remember seeing photos of it open like last summer.
1: Amazing. Yeah. There you go. yeah. Which is no doubt, no doubt a smart place to go. Now, I want to ask you a couple of things here, but, before we wrap this up but you, you've been very generous of your time with us system of service this is this organization that you've founded with 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 your trainer i hear uh, yeah. is that was he is he your trainer this gentleman that you started with or is he just a fr- friend who happens to be a, a physical trainer
2: yeah he's my friend who happens to be a trainer he is so wildly successful that i get lucky if i get a se- i get a session with him
1: well, there you go. That's not bad. Talk to us about system of service. It's, it's, I mean, it's everywhere. I've seen in every interview, I seen you talk about it. I'm just trying to figure out exactly how does it function? Or what is it about? What is it meant to be there for?
2: Yeah, I'm sure it's actually quite confusing because it's been an interesting year for us. We We started a few years ago, but what had happened was we were both just really frustrated, I think, with a lot of things going on in the world. Trump had just been elected into office, and there was obviously a lot of um, anger and confusion on mine. I think something really beautiful that came out of that was a deep sense of community and people being way more um, politically vocal. But there was also this trend of this kind of like disconnected, like I'm just gonna donate to this place send through a Venmo or send through a PayPal, whatever it is, and then be able to kind of walk away and and feel good about that. But we both felt it was kind of a disconnected way to be of service to people. Um, We both grew up being very on the ground, hands on people who um, gave back a lot in our community. And we always found it so interesting that that was something that was just like a requirement in high school. Like you had to do community service hours to be able to graduate. You had to do community service hours in college to be able to graduate. But it's not something that is continued or really like in, it's not something that feels really centralized as you're an adult. I've had so many times, both of us have had so many times where we've wanted to sign up for something to be able to go and, and whether it was, you know, work in a food kitchen, plant a garden um, and didn't really know what the situation would be. So maybe we had a little bit of hesitation because it wasn't something that, you know, our school set up for us back when we were younger. So we had this idea to start System of Service, which really was a monthly community get together where we would invite our friends and extended networks to come in and give back in a hands-on way. And most of the time, it was actually to organizations that needed help in our own backyard um, whether it was you know re completely replanting this beautiful community garden in Brooklyn that really needed the help and really needed the love or you know if you live in New York so many people live in Soho so many people live around the Bowery but the Bowery mission is right there right in the center of Soho and in, in front of all of it and so many people just walk by it all the time so we had a ton of our friends come together and cook lunches right before Thanksgiving and, and deliver. I think we delivered close to a thousand lunches right before Thanksgiving. And they were so grateful. So it's, we really just created it as this little touch point for people to feel like they had access to these moments where they were hands on and being able to give back to their community and not just do it digitally through a phone.
1: And how has this last last year been for you guys? Like you mentioned, yeah. it must tough. So how, how, how does one survive something like that?
2: Well, I think, you know, the two of us have spent the year actually, you know, thinking through what the next chapter could look like for us, to be really honest. I think with a lot of things that you start, startups, all of this, you're doing it really ad hoc in the beginning. It's very scrappy. You want to make it work. You're doing everything you can to make it work. We had friends that were coming in and helping us out, brand partners that we were working with coming in and helping us out. And I think, you know, we've taken the past year to kind of reflect on those accomplishments and say, wow, we really did bring people together to do something good. How can we do it in a bigger, better way once we're able to come together again? So I think those are the conversations that we've been having and we're excited to be able to do it again. (laughs)
1: Amazing, amazing work! How important, yeah. how, how lovely too, and, and and I think you're right. It is, it is funny, isn't it? How when people are kids and children, and, and, and you know, adults as well, we we encourage our kids and children to do community service to right. be a part of it. Like you should be doing these things, and, and even funny enough, like you know, when I had kids, you know, wanting to take them to charitable events, to sort of teach that. But when you sort of become an adult, you that system of of being involved isn't really in place. You know, it's perhaps, to your point, when a school organizes it, somehow it's approved. It's safe. It's kind of something you can do. And when it's not, you're on your own to sort of suss it out. So you're there to help kind of bring people together and say, hey, guys, all together, we're going to do this. We've done the paperwork, you you know, kind of show up and help out. And that's wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, it's
2: been really fun. And to be honest, I think something that I love deeply about it is that it's so simple, but changes the lives of many. I think like the most impactful thing that I felt was how many people actually came up to me after the event and were like, I used to work with this organization in college, college or in high school, and today felt so good to me. Just to spend these three hours this morning doing this, I'm actually going to reach back out to this organization and try to start working with them again. So it's sparking those little moments and those conversations for us that I think that's where the real change is being made. It's getting people involved again in... in the things that that help and change their communities.
0: Amazing, fantastic. So yeah,
2: hopefully we get to come back soon. We're we're really excited to be able to.
0: It's amazing listening to that. I I I I mean, no, I'm definitely not a big social media person and and, and getting involved in all that. But I'm aware of the kind of concept of the term, you know, influencer, which I am, which I am not about to to start chucking around willy nilly. But if and I and I watched, you know and. Um, you see the sort of concept of influencing people to do things. And you look at what an influencer generally is taken as on on something like Instagram. Right. And I, and I've never really, I've, I've always been slightly kind of literally slightly pulled actually by what's going on because it's just so vacuous and, and create, and I can never quite see the point of very much what's going on. You are clearly influencing a lot of people to do, to, I mean, within your podcast and your charity work, you know, I'm not going to, ban, to use the term influencer, but you are influencing a lot of people in a very, very positive way through kind of social media and through these platforms. I mean, it's not you know it, it but it can be used for good, Tom. It can be used for good. Yeah, but it, but you know, I'm kind of like slightly in awe of of uh, of, uh, of it because you know, I've always slightly you know, I haven't you don't just, you just don't see that many sort of you know these situations where you know on social media where you know, much good is being done or what, you know, it's actually more damage I always see being done to people and making people feel inadequate and all the rest of it. But what you're doing is really quite, quite, quite something. I mean, it's, um, did your kind of charitable, <clears throat> um, uh, you know, your kind of ethos, I suppose, come from, where, where does this come from? Your, your, your kind of, you know, your generosity, as it were, of kind of giving.
2: Hmm. Well, first off, thank you for your kind words. Cause, um, I appreciate how thoughtful your remarks were in in navigating the word influencer. I think it's been something that, you know, in my industry and fashion has been very wide sweeping. And I think um, it's easy to compartmentalize people. And that's something I always try not to do. I'd rather ask the question and say, you tell me who you are instead of just compartmentalizing that. So thank you. Um, It's a great question. You know, I've actually never been asked that. But I can reflect on maybe some things that came through in my younger years I was like the President of Community Service Day as a kid. I loved it. It was so much fun to me. There was something very I liked like the tactileness of it. I liked being able to go there and actually see what I was doing was make it making a difference. But I also think I'm one of five girls. I grew up around a very large dinner table, and we all come from different parents and so half most of them are my right, half siblings. I guess I would kind of relate this back to the idea. I think it really, what it's about is community and it's about not being afraid of community, wanting to foster community and wanting to be in one. And I don't think that that's something that comes naturally. I think some people um, like to be on their own. I, you know, I think some people might not gravitate towards a lot of community. So for me growing up in this big family, I think I was instinctually taught to take care of other people and also accept that in exchange So I I think it's something that's always been innate in me to want to care for others. I've always been, I think my, my genuine, like number one personality trait is that I've always been really curious and I've always done everything I can to chase that curiosity. So I mentioned when I was in high school, I had traveled all around the world doing different service projects. I was in Tanzania helping rebuild a school and teach English, English to kids, um I was in India doing the same thing as a kid and I think it was something that I just naturally felt inclined to do and called to do and I'm I'm very grateful for that and if someone's listening who also feels that the best thing that you can do is take action and actually do it because you will learn the most about yourself and you'll learn the most about the world in taking care of others and like my co-founder joe always says like the best way to take care of yourself is also taking care of others so yeah i think it's something that i i think my surroundings as a kid really just facilitated and fostered that natural curiosity and desire to to take care of community
1: good good words great words and like you know i think that's seriously the best advice you can give anybody in fact is to as they say oh, so often in the east is the pleasure is in the giving not the receiving yeah. and that, yeah. that if you ever if everyone t- takes care of their neighbor then the you know the world's issues will almost solve themselves we're all too often looking at what i want what i need uh, and um, me uh versus what does my neighbor want what does my neighbor need and if we all just did that then we'd all just look after each other it would be easier which is the essence of what you're saying which is wonderful and beautiful and and fantastic you know really really amazing work i mean you are uh an absolutely solid and stellar person and we're really pleased to have you on shaken instead and before we let you go we have a little thing we do on Shaken instead called last orders which is a sort of little rapid fire question which is pretty simple pretty easy and uh I think you've already got the fact that I have to actually ask a different question. I'm looking at my questions here and I see that you've sort of answered one of them kind of in one of your answers already. So I'll I'll change it up. But okay, here we go. Uh, Last orders, people. Window or aisle seat?
2: Window. Always look at the view.
1: Always look at the view. There you go, Tom. Always look at the view. Uh, Not shocked, though. I'm not shocked. Do you have a favorite social media? Oof.
2: I, although it can be a very dark and scary place, I enjoy reading the thoughts and opinions I see on Twitter.
1: Wow. There you go. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um,
2: I know. I wasn't expecting that either, but it's okay. Sometimes we surprise ourselves.
1: There you go. Uh, That's That's what it's about. You know what? I've been getting into Twitter myself recently, funnily enough. It's sort of, I kind of go back and forth.
2: I think you have to take it with a grain of salt, but I think having access to all those opinions and all those thoughts is um, a really, really cool thing that I don't think we've had at all in any point in history. So take it with a grain of salt. Make sure you're following a very wide range of people so you're not getting caught in a little echo chamber of thoughts. It could be a really inspiring place.
1: There you go. Okay. And what's your name on, on Twitter?
2: My name on Twitter is the same as it is on Instagram. It's Liv Perez with two Vs.
1: There you go, everybody. With two V's. Um, In the movie of your life, who would you have play you?
2: This is a that's a mean question.
1: Why is it mean?
2: I don't know. I feel like then I'm like just going to end up complimenting myself because I'm going to say like an actress that someone's told me I've looked like in my life.
1: Exactly. Who would that be?
2: I don't know. People have told me like when I was a kid, I was bleach blonde, and people said I gave them Uma Thurman vibes. I get Penelope Cruz, which is the honor of all honors because she's the most gorgeous person in the world. But I think people are reaching a little bit with that one. You know, I'm like a Natalie Portman stan all the way. Love her. I think she'd be great. I don't know. This is such a weird... It's such a... Like, how would you answer
1: that? I I, I like the... Natalie Portman is too small to be me. Um, Penelope Cruz, you know, I don't have that Latin kind of thing going. Um, I was thinking, you know, more along the lines of... uh, uh, Waldorf and Astoria, actually, from The Muppet Show could play both Tom and I in the Shaken and Said show. What gets your goat and what floats your boat? What gets under your skin?
2: When people are just irrationally mean to others. Like, I hate, I hate that we kind of live in this age where we have trolls and people that think that they can kind of come in on people's Instagrams or lives at any time and just like spew hate. That's something that really, really gets under my skin.
0: And what floats your boat? What do you love?
2: Being nosy and asking people questions.
0: <gasps> I was not expecting that answer.
2: <laughs>
0: I, was, I was expecting giving. That's actually <laughs> what gets your goat, Tom. <laughs> what, what, <being laughs> that's pretty much exactly what gets and your go. It
2: is my job to be nosy for a living. So of course that that's my favorite thing to do.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay. And final question. Shaken or stirred? Shaken. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Shaken. It's more fun.
1: Absolutely. Why stir things up when you can shake them up?
2: Yeah, shake them up. I agree
1: up. with you one hundred percent. Olivia Perez, Liv Perez. Where can people find your podcast, "Friend of a Friend"? I'm assuming everywhere.
2: Yes. So you can find it on Apple Podcast, Spotify. We have a website. It's friend of a um, and you can listen to it on all of those platforms.
1: Fantastic. And you have a, a, a really great following on Instagram as well. And that's Liv Perez. And you said it with two V's. Yes. There you go. You heard it here. Thank you so much, Liv. We really appreciate you coming on. What what a thrill! And what a sweetheart you are. Nice to oh, meet nice. you.
2: Nice to meet you guys. Have a great day.
0: All the yes. best.
2: All right.
1: Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe.
0: See ya.